Join me as I talk with people who express their creativity in ways that can inspire the rest of us to recognize our own creativity. And if you enjoy these conversations, please like, subscribe, and share them. Welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 45, and I have the pleasure of speaking with a leader in the expressive arts field, Marcus Scott Alexander. Marcus, good morning. Good morning. Nice to have you here. So, as usual, we try to demythologize the nature of creativity on these calls. And today I'm going to start out, as usual again, with reading what uh, Marcus has shared with me on his bio and then just exploring what happens next. So, Marcus Scott Alexander, PhD, REAT, is a leader in the field of phenomenological expressive arts education with a focus on echotherapy and intermodal cross-cultural art making exploring how every individual can be included in the building of an ensemble. And I'm going to want you to unpack that first paragraph (laughs) when I get to the end of this. Marcus was a senior faculty member of the European Graduate School and is currently the director of World Arts Organizations, which offers online expressive arts courses as well as supervision. Marcus has co-facilitated many international community art gatherings with expressive arts pioneer Paolo, is it Canil? Am I expressing it right with a K? Originally from New York, he now resides in Edmonton, Canada. And Marcus is the author of Expressive Arts Education and Therapy, Discoveries in a Dance Theater Lab Through Creative Process-Based Research. And his quote is, in moving forward, it helps to return to what precedes our distortions, creating art that reflects and embodies our journey home. I love that. So can you explain what phenomenological expressives, expressive arts are and uh, echotherapy and intermodal cross-cultural art making? <laughs> It's a mouthful. Yeah. Well, all of it for me is about liking um, my vertical energy. What's that mean? It means, firstly, being present and aware of what's occurring. So phenomenology asks, what are you noticing? So the, um, it's different from a more psychological psychotherapy, which is really very much about having insights and understanding. And my focus is more on just simply what are you noticing? You may not have any understanding of, of what's occurring, but you might experience a shift into something like an increased presence or increased congruence. So phenomenological psychotherapy just ask the question, what are you noticing? And the value is upon the evolution of your own ability to be consciously aware of creating your life or participating in your life. And then um, intermodal uh, expressive arts work is um, a way to create a bridge, to find which art modalities take you back 
like for me when I play the piano it it really it takes me inward and then when I sing it takes me out so I I, I train folks therapists artists people who want to for themselves and others find ways to uh, again this vertical energy is how to uh, how to be firstly how to be and then secondly once you have a sense that sort of felt sense of your play range within how to bring that into the world so that you feel like how I'm being in the world reflects the depth and breadth of what's happening within me and uh, the ecotherapy is um, kind of like learning from mother nature sort of what the art of of, of cycles and rhythms and 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 the play range of from caves to mountaintops and from winter to, to summer sort of like learning from nature how to relax into the range of of what we are and how to give what we are a life in who we are so it sounds like you your emphasis is not on the intellectual or the rational so much as it is that felt sense of being. Would that be right? Well, it's, it's kind of like first things first. I really sense that wisdom is, is in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And to connect with what we know in our hearts matters to us and what we love. And then, for me, the right use of intellect is to then think about what you know in your heart matters to you or has profound value. So I do think the, the use of the intellect is important, but not first. Right, subservient maybe. Yeah, to serve what what we know in our hearts matters. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you like to play and why that's important. Well, it's interesting when you asked me just now. The first word that came is intimacy. Um, I, I'm, I'm at a moment that happened a couple of days ago where I was looking at these blossoms on a tree. I think it was a crab apple. And they were just so exquisite. I mean, the balance of buds, flowers starting to open, flowers opening, the color, how the sun was coming through the trees. Um, I guess that for me, play is interplay. It was the interplay it was me enjoying the interplay between me and the flowers and the tree and the sun. Sort of play for me is this kind of like swimming in the moment. And, and it can happen uh, at a concert, sort of swimming in, in this kind of interplay. So play for me intimates or implies interplay, that something is happening that I'm a part of and enjoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It seems to me that we're, if we are paying attention, we're always in, uh, we're always interplaying, whether it's with the swaying of the branches of a flowering bush or taking a walk and breathing in the air and noticing whether there are birds in the sky or if you're having a conversation. But the invitation seems like it's always there. Whether we notice it or not might be another question altogether. Yes. And, and it seems like relaxing into the moment is sort of the ongoing way to increase the chances that 
that that playfulness is always is poised to pounce into that into that play and and i sense that you have that quality nina so i feel like there's a kind of equanimity whether you're going for a walk and watching the birds or we're having this conversation that's like ready for surprise ready for something new to open and sort of playing with uh uh uh, uh the the space between between us now or the space between us and the clouds it's 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 sensing the invitation to the play space that that's always possible and play for me also um again coming back to this word intimate um i talk a lot about deep play in my work and to really relax into something that's not efforting to be cheerful or happy but to to connect with with to connect with the deep play that's already occurring in this universe and to relax into its chaos. And that's how we become creative by relaxing into uh, the, the chaos and giving ourselves to this self-organizing principle. Something's wanting to happen here. How can I be a part of that? You know, and to stay with that, that question, how can we, how can I be a part of this incredible universe? That's the heart of it seems to me feels like divine play. I've heard of this. <laughs> so what is it like for you like I think we're we're both on the same page on this and what is it like for you to work with people who have a really hard time relaxing or think that play is uh, childish yeah well you know I guess that what I do is what precedes that which is to love them mm. to love them just as they are and they can see how I'm being with them. So it's almost like modeling a kind of sweetness and dearness with which we can hold the as is. So there's less need to, for them to be playful as much as it is for me to be what I know and what I value in playing with the as is with them. And they can see that I might kind of giggle at a kind of, um, rigidity that they might have and and actually find the phenomenological language um, to describe that rigidity because rigidity can be a psychological word you know um, yeah there are many words that we adopt that are actually psychological that sort of put us in a box you know I'm very rigid you know rather than saying well can you be more specific what do you notice well I'm not flexible can you be even more specific I like having my way, even more specific. I get angry when I don't get my way. Let's stay with that, even more, even more. So going finer and finer, and that becomes a kind of play. To, to, to venture in, again, this word intimacy that comes, to, for both of us to, to find the sharing of the moment so that they're not being intimate with themselves or with me, but both of us or intimately sharing the same moment. Maybe a giggle will help or kind of, hmm, that's interesting. And, and so our criteria for play becomes like, how can, we, how can we actually truly be in the same moment at the same time? Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, you'll have to tell me if this is uh, common to most practitioners for expressive arts or if it's unique to you, which is you have a, a quite a, a profound way of combining 
love, play, and presence in a way that is, it just seems different from what I've heard before. Mm. Um, well, my, uh, my presence in, in the larger expressive arts community has focused a lot on embodiment. And for me, love and play and the arts, all of this is a very visceral flow. It's uh, the, 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 the flow of love, the flow of awareness, the flow of art making, the flow of connection. It, it feels to me like there is something that precedes all of that, even something that precedes love. And that I'm constantly working to get a felt sense of the origin of all of that and to come more and more and more and more subtly from the source of all of that. And so while um, maybe I could say a lot of my colleagues are uh, trust the process and process oriented, maybe I'm a little bit more source oriented. I keep wanting to orient to something that I sense as a source of all of this creativity and to, to create an environment where people can strengthen their resonance with that um, portal, the portal back to their origin and the portal that is that same portal from that profound intimate place into the world. So it's, it's cultivating a felt sense of something um, that is not a process. I feel like in a, just a moment you could be right there right in your heart of hearts and just say, oh, that's it. Yeah. So I wasn't sure whether you said resonance or residence, but it seems like I did. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Residence is coming home. Yeah. <laughs> I did I did say resonance, but uh, I like residence, that, that you establish residence in, in your body, you know, your deeper bodies. Yeah. And, and do you have, do you ever put a name to that source? Um, generally, I, 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 it's so moment specific that I would say this, and that whoever I'm with, that we would both have a sense of what this is, because it's here. It's not really back there. It's not, you know, but it's really sort of the, the heart of the moment. And I say, can you sense this and resonate with this? <laughs> it takes us into the moment and into what into the mystery whatever this is and I, I love that it's firstly the mystery and so I don't have really any cognitive sense of what it is but I can say viscerally yeah it's this as Van Morrison would say into the mystery into the mystery we go how did you get into expressive arts I, I believe you were an actor in the in the in the beginning yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, as a as a young person, my interest in the arts was quite rich, and in, in music and and uh, painting and poetry and and uh, the performing arts. And um, for some years, I made my living as an actor in New York, and um, particularly interested in an ensemble work, experimental ensemble work, and then in the summers. I do summer stock and you know, make money doing commercial work. Um, and that's sort of, but alongside that, I, I still continue my interest in other art forms and uh, 
to this day. Um, at some point, it seemed correct to lay down my work as an actor and being in the theater and being in New York and just quieted down and uh, left New York City and married and just spent about three years getting quieter and quieter. And uh, I wrote a musical for children and toured with it as part of my leaving the theater. It was I was still at the theater, but I was working then as a composer and, and playing the piano. And um, then I heard about expressive arts therapy and uh, went uh, to Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts to uh, check it out. And I said, okay, that's it. I was 34 at the time. So it took me a while to really define my niche, but I'm glad I was actually that young. And that was a springboard into um, something that felt like um, it had the complexity that I like in terms of a lot of levels and areas to explore. But at the heart of it was simplicity, like this thing about stay, that it isn't a pseudo intellectual um, mm. profession, that it really is about finding ways to strengthen your resonance with what you know in your heart and give it a life. Yeah. yeah so expressive arts and meeting Paolo Knell um, was the beginning. And then he started a university in Switzerland about eight years after I graduated from Lesley University. And uh, I went there, um, did my postmaster's work, and then one year later started teaching and taught there for 23 years and retired last year. So expressive arts turned out to be a really good choice for me. And lately I've moved more and more into combining ecotherapy, being out in nature, which is one of my great loves, with creative expression. What does that look like? Um, well, the way I'm doing it is um, we meet for three days, once a month, and then I give them things to do out in the world that uh, are specific to each person in, in the class. Um, someone might be more visual and enjoy photography. Someone might be more kinesthetic and want to create land art. Uh, someone might be more auditory and make recordings of the birds and create some music with the birds. You know, So it's person-specific and situation-specific. Mm -hmm what that marriage is. And would that be out in the wilderness or would that be somewhere a little more civilized? Yeah, um, well, really my, my work is to respond to wherever the person's at. So, and I'm working with folks all over the planet. So if someone is in lockdown, uh, like, you know, I just work with a group of folks in Hong Kong, then you just work with the plants in your apartment. And they they sing, they they talk, they move, you know. And others, um, they'll go into the woods or the mountains or the desert. Some some learn from the moon and want to be out at, at two o'clock in the morning, um, gazing at the moon or listening to the stars. So, my job is to support the range of possibility. And there's such a wide range of possibility of sort of the art of response, um, that awakening things in us by responding to the bee on the flower or uh, the shooting comet. Ah, that just sounds so yummy. <laughs> you talk in one of your videos about the synergy between quietude and excitement. I think I have those terms right. Can you share I hope you remember saying that. And could you yeah. share something more yeah. about it? 
Sure, it's actually essential to me um, that that sort of that marriage of quietude and excitement is vitality. Mm. And and I, I, I must say that I, I experience a sort of an ongoing vitality. Uh, I wake up pretty fresh and um, that the quietude is only on the level of myself. That if I quieten myself, the vibrancy that I can connect to is very exciting. It doesn't originate in myself. It originates in something greater than myself and infills myself. So the self can experience that as exciting or profoundly still, but in a sense it's two sides of the same coin or, or the yin and the yang of, of what we are, which is incredibly vibrant beings. So how to, how, to, how to enjoy that range as a being as a person? How can I embody? That's where the expressive arts come in. It helps me to sort of bridge that gap. How can I embody this huge being in this human body uh, with the range of emotions I have and not just completely just like, explode with, with delight, but actually learn how to be taken by it and shape it. That to me is what the arts are about. I'm taken by something, I guess they call that inspiration, and then I shape it, and I guess I would call that skill. So inspiration and skill as a way to, um, to shape what's moving in me and ultimately as me. Mm. It sounds so this sounds really silly, but I was going to say it sounds so deep. You know, it's such a there's such a uh, a deep thread that you're sharing about who we are and what our possibilities are beyond just what we think we know. And you're right. It's that shift from what we think we know to actually that deeply believing what we know the truth of. If I say that. There is great nurture in going to the depth of me. Someone might believe it's scary going to the deep dark, but I don't believe that because it's, it's, it's not what's so for me. So the depth is the depth of believing what I know in my heart is true. And I keep checking in and dropping in and checking and dropping in that if I'm wobbly about actually believing what I know the truth of in my heart and, and in those deeper and deeper levels of the heart. You know, if I have a goal in my life, it's to sort of be that, that my self and my personality be aligned with and able to give form to the deepest in me. So it's, it's just an ongoing value to, to embody uh, something that feels formless mm. and without language or a very mysterious language and how to listen with um, uh, a very delicate, intimate, sacred, nuanced presence. That, well, that's what I was calling vertical, sort of that deepening like the well deep in my well, so that the water that I bring up is more and more pure. And to have the felt sense that I am a little bit different than I was a year ago, because I'm drawing on deeper levels 
of me and different levels of um, the nature of the nature of things, which is why I do ecotherapy too, because you can get inspired from the outside, you know, looking at a mountain range or going to the Grand Canyon or something like that, and that it can awaken something in you, something deeper in you. Mm-hmm. So that we can do both. We can go in and we can look at the majesty around us to have a sense of what we are. And then the, the so-called therapy work is, okay, now how do you give that resonance, conscious recognition of what's occurring at this moment of grandeur and majesty? Consciously recognize something is happening here. I'm really resonating with the stars. It, this is not just looking at the stars. I'm just so in love with what's happening here. Uh, say more about that. What's happening? It's like my awareness is expanding and I'm truly meeting the stars and staying with that. So there's the resonance, but then there's also a conscious recognition of what's occurring and then consciously participating with that. And that's the deep play. Like, wow, I feel like, I don't know, it's almost like there's a kind of in my response to the stars where where it's like we're having this dance together. Mm-hmm. And I say, stay with it. And they actually literally dance and they say, oh, maybe they'll weep. I feel like I am dancing with the stars and that's my life. And for somebody else, it might be different. So I won't use the technique of my dance with the stars technique. It's <laughs> specific to that person at that moment. Somebody else might be dancing with their coffee and the coffee beans and they just, you know, they, they feel the coffee beans moving inside of them. And it's a totally different, different way to, to appreciate um, how whatever touches us can either just be an experience or our ability to respond to what touches us, to truly transform us, to become more and more like what we love. Mm. I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you. It would only have been once, but when we were speaking earlier about a quote that I read that was attributed to Vincent van Gogh, um, when he, uh, the storyline is that he's writing to his brother as he's uh, attending seminary, and he's in this little garret, as you can imagine, you know, penniless, writing by candlelight with a cheap pencil and a yellow sheet of paper and he's describing what he sees out his window and uh, all of a sudden he draws a sketch in the middle of this cheap little letter um, of this of what he's seeing and and he says it's so beautiful I must show you how it looks and when I read that line this was years ago I just thought that's it that's the reason that's the whole purpose to show, at least for me anyway, to show what is here for all of us if we notice, if we take the time to notice. Yes. And um, there are various theories in the expressive arts work, and one of them is crystallization. So it's almost like the artist has a way of sensing the essence of something and crystallizing Mm -hmm. it, and then sharing it as a way to, for people to get excited about being touched by essence. Mm. I don't know what it is exactly that Jackson Pollock does, but I know some people think, oh, he just sort of throws these throws this paint around and he's not really an artist like Gauguin or someone. But then I stood in front of one of his paintings 
happened to have been in Zurich at the Kunst Museum. Mm -hmm. And his ability to help me to sense the complexity of the moment. Mm. There was this incredible painting with all of this, and it, it held together as one whole celebration of the moment. And every stroke that I could look at within that was honest. He wasn't painting to manipulate me to feel something. He was just sort of tracking the flow, this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment, the, tracking the flow of the next and the next and the next moment. It was breathtaking and it changed me. It changed the depth of my ability to like listen to an artist's call to humanity to say, um, celebrate the moment, celebrate the moment, celebrate the moment. And every time you say that, it's another moment. So I feel like I learned something about tracking, which I then talk about in my book. and and. And, and, and sort of developed and contributed to the field of expressive arts, the phenomenon of tracking. Uh, it isn't the observer, it's, it's that intimate, uh, now this, now this, now this, now this, now this. So tracking, uh, it's almost like tracking the Tao. It's like being the river, okay, now, now, now it's going here, now it's going here, now it's going here. It's such delicate tracking that, but you're so inside of it, you're not the observer, you're tracking inside of it. So you're consciously aware, you're letting go, and you're shaping it at the same time. And the art seemed to support that, and being in awe in nature supports that, supports that kind of wonder at the, the, the phenomenon of the unfolding moment that doesn't seem to have any direction, just the beauty of, un, of, of opening. But at the same time, this thing about the Tao, we are moving toward something too. And that movement toward is dependent on sort of my, where I'm coming from, sort of like the tra trajectory to truth or trajectory to home requires me to kind of pay attention to where I'm coming from again and again and again and to be true to that. So I don't really know where I'm going, but I can sense where I'm coming from. And, and you don't necessarily know where you came from either. Exactly. But it seems like the more intimate, I, the more intimately I stay with the question, what am I, the more I kind of relax into knowing something without understanding what I'm knowing. Yeah. How would you define intimacy? Intimately. <laughs> okay, come on. A little more. Well, <laughs> moment-specific, um, moment-specific, situation-specific. I don't think there's a generic intimacy. The way I was intimately watching the bee on the flower is different from um, looking at my wife when she had on her black frame glasses versus her, versus her clear frame glasses. I could see that the way I responded to her was a little bit different. Or when she wears her red shirt versus her lavender shirt, so it's like the new—it's like nuanced response, profoundly nuanced response. And my sense of the delicateness of 
my capacity to respond um, newly. Seems like intimacy is just what is. You know, if we are not caught up in our thinking or distracted by whatever happens to be available to get distracted by, that that there's no separation. So that dancing with the stars kind of means you are the stars. Yeah. That's, that's so true, Nina. I mean, it really is that to, to be be that intimacy, mm -hmm. to be nurture, rather than a person efforting to be nurturing, to embody those qualities of nurture, embody those qualities of intimacy. It's, it's like it's what we are. Uh, it, again, it come back to that image of take care of the vertical before the horizontal. Be intimacy before you're efforting to be intimate. Yeah. And that's why, again, coming back to this, this marriage of expressive arts and ecotherapy is this to be present to, in a visceral way, to how we are a part of all of this. Mm. Yeah. And, and that intimacy is, it's almost like the intimacy, the word intimacy is a code for becoming that. Yeah. Mm. So Marcus, I have a question for you, which is, uh, you know, I was originally trained as a psychotherapist and I got very disillusioned with the notion that uh, people's behavior was pathologized and that we were broken. And in fact, that's when I moved away from that and I was studying energy medicine, I found that to, to be the same. Uh, groundwork for a lot of modalities. You're broken, your chakras are closed, or your energy feels constricted, or whatever, you know, your median, uh, meridians are blocked. But it just seems to me that that's not accurate. That people are, people are what they are, first of all, but to pathologize people's behavior is like blaming the victim. Or just being human and not and being ignorant in a way not stupid but just not knowing there's another way to be what do you think well if there isn't nurture in what you're observing you're off if you're commenting if you're in a negative space it's going to exacerbate this, that space so it just doesn't make sense to spend a lot of time addressing distortion when you can much more quickly return to what precedes the distortion and to, to develop the skills as a practitioner for returning to what precedes misunderstandings and genetic patterns and all of this stuff that happens. Yes, uh, it, you can actually uh, be schizoidal And how I want to approach that, uh, as you say, rather than pathologize it, to say, wow, 
how can we work with this incredibly wide play range you have? <laughs> Very wide play range. Wow, wow. And they get excited and they say, yeah, one minute I'm like in the black, blackest cave. And the next minute I feel like, uh, like, like the happiest person in the universe. I say, wow, wow. And everything in between? No, not so much the in-between. Hmm, I wonder if we could explore the range and find the questions, find new questions to stay with, rather than how can I deal with my schizoidal behavior? So maybe that question's off. Mm. Because I look for questions that nurture because then I want to stay with the question. If the question nurtures me like, how the heck do I enjoy this incredible play range? Then... <laughs> <laughs> then the chances of, of there being some kind of healing and transformation increases significantly rather than, you know, how do I, how do I deal with this curse? <laughs> and, you know, I was diagnosed when I was you know, 15 and it's only gotten worse. And, you know, they come to you and hearing that you don't do the same old, same old, and you offer something. And I think what you're offering is... Um, to speak to something deeper and greater than the diagnosis. Uh, and uh, in my experience, that approach works well. How could it not? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. You said something in one of your uh, YouTube videos about naming, claiming, and aiming. What is that all about? Oh, I probably started when you do your intensives with people. Yeah. It's it's it sounds like you lead them through a process where they can identify. I think your term was resources. Yes. And then um, begin to embody them, to acknowledge them, to be able to say yes, and then see how it gets expressed in them. Yes. Well, that's, that's basically name it, claim it, aim it. Um, let's say if you say, I'm interested in um, the phenomenon of awe, like awe. I've named that that's the thing that I really, that, that that's constant, whether it's being in awe of the flower, and awe of the moon, or in awe of the, 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 the look on that baby's face, awe. That's maybe my, I'm naming that as what creates cohesion in my life. It's like in awe of and able to move into the wow. My saying that out loud is claiming it. My saying it to you and whoever is going to listen to this, it's like, wow, that is what captures me. I'm taken by the phenomenon of all. I'm claiming it. Aiming it is, I'm going to have some time this afternoon to go for a walk. We live uh, in a beautiful part of the city that's right on the ravine and lots and lots of trees. And I, I walk pretty much every day, sometimes twice a day, down in the ravine in the woods. And it's the noon green now, the leaves are coming up. And I might say, aiming it would be, a 
question I might have, I say, all right, I'm going to walk and see if the if I sense if the trees have any awareness of me. And that just that question takes me to awe. So I'm walking now, I'm going from the vertical, which is naming and claiming, to the horizontal, into the world, with like, I feel different. It's like I found a new question. I'm aiming a new question down into my walk today, and I really feel different in my walk. My question is, are the trees aware of me? Is there anything like, anything like what I experience as odd? Do they energetically, do they sense that something is passing through them? And so, um, so the aiming would be to increase the chances that whatever I've named and claimed gets lived and integrated into the, my world, not only integrated into my body and say, I love the phenomenon of awe, but then how does that then show up in, in, my, in my life uh, in new ways all the time? Mm. I love that you're mentioning awe. I, I read a, a book recently called The Ten Worlds, and one of the points that the authors made was that a characteristic of enlightenment, and I'm, I'm not calling you enlightened, but you may be, who knows, is awe. And when we are in awe, there is no separation. Yes. I would say, Nina, that I feel like I am awakening to what I am. Mm. Enlightened feels too dramatic. Yeah, it's a little bit. Right. I mean, just just for me, uh, I, I don't really know what enlightenment is really, but I can say I know that I I know uh, sort of the the phenomenon, if you will, of awakening to the more of me mm. or the more of this. And so I do feel like I'm in some kind of awakening process, so that when I leave my body. Uh, my my intention is that it be uh, seamless, and I just keep awakening to the more, awakening to the more, stuff falling away, stuff coming to be, and at one point it's my body's going to fall away, and the next thing, and my body's already falling away, and I sense at my age that something is starting to fall away, and my spirit is starting to awaken even more as I'm kind of ready-making for a crossing into the next, and so I feel like all the time being enlightened more and more to the nature of reality and to participate in that. Mm, yummy. You know, I think enlightenment has a uh, sense of a future event. I'm going to be enlightened when, and yet it seems like what you're describing is that it's already here now. And it's a matter of noticing and wondering. Beautifully. Noticing and wondering what's occurring all the time. Uh, and, and, and that's that tracking thing, sort of tracking that, that awakening consciously to say and that you can participate more. That's why I like the, working with the arts. It's like get to consciously, I wrote a series of haikus as a response to, I'm doing supervision these days. So, uh, one of my um, supervisees in India created these beautiful paintings. And I said, Oh, I want to create some haikus. 
some haiku, plural of haiku is haiku. I just found that out yesterday. A series of haiku uh, in response to that. And that for me is one of the ways of sort of crystallizing the moment, crystallizing my response, tracking how responding to, to her paintings is awakening something in me that might not have been awakened if she didn't share her artwork. And, and, and so, it, so the, the, the role of the expressive arts work for me, I keep awakening, if you will, to more and more levels and areas of finer meaning for art making and, and sharing our art. Mm. And that, which of course, meaning precedes purpose for me. Yeah. I mean, if somebody says, well, what's the purpose of, of uh, writing your haiku and, and doing your painting when there's so much uh, distortion in the world that needs to be dealt with? And I, I don't have an answer to what the purpose is, but I can say, the depth of meaning just fills me so fully that there's no space at that moment to think about the purpose. And I take my hands off that. Yeah, purpose is a tricky word. I think that a lot of people that I come in contact with, that I, I coach or just have conversations with, often it has to be their reason for being. And yet, there's so much pressure to put people on a you know a track of yes this is my purpose this is my passion you know i have a direction now it's it's almost sometimes a it's it can be based on fear okay i've, I've got a direction i'm an actor i'm a painter i'm a dishwasher you know and creating an identity that can sometimes it seems in my experience to keep us from life rather than with it. Well, the orientation uh, for me, it, it doesn't feel wrong or bad. It's just, it's just not it for me to, uh, because it, it's too much self-orientation. Mm. Purpose tends to be you know, I myself, and it's and and it's um, uh, it's often self-centered. Uh, no matter how magnanimous the purpose is, it's to become a you know, a greater self. And I, I find that me, what meaning does for me, especially if I if I go to that meaning as a noun, to be like we talk about, be intimacy, be meaning, meaning with arms and hands, being meaning in motion. And oh, I'm I'm creating the haiku, or we're having this conversation. Meaning gets to have a life in us and as us, and it just it includes myself. Being meaning includes me, but it's not about me. Yeah. And then I find that the flow is is much, much, much greater. Well, it's a great question. Who's who's me anyway? <laughs> You know, who's doing the doing and who's and and what is it that is exactly going on and how are we participating in it? Are we participating in it with consciousness or uh, is it happening anyway without us? How is it that we even get to notice these things? And um, 
for me, the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest bit of knowing that I have in response to those kinds of questions, I give everything. I give everything to the tiniest, tiniest resonance with that's what I am. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be just such a tiny speck and to say, okay, I'm living for that. You know what I find? Uh, oh gosh, I had so many adjectives coming in at that moment. What I appreciate about the way you're expressing your love of this world, not only the expressive arts world, but the world in general, is that it's deeply, it's deeply spiritual but it's also supremely practical at the same time mm. and it doesn't have any sense of uh, dogma attached to it it's, it has a naturalness to it this is like who we are let's just let's just settle down for a moment and see what we see well i'm very happy to to hear you say that because i know that I was in my early 30s when I had very clear seeing that um, to have this earthy spirituality uh, without any dogma was it for me in this life. And uh, I come from a working class family uh, that was you know, somewhat religious. I grew up uh, in a Jewish home and um, so I grew up with some resonance with the reality that there's something greater than us, um, but there are lots of rules. Mm -hmm. And uh, pretty early on, I saw that the rules were sort of made up, <laughs> but that the essence of the essence of uh, what my mother was resonating with when she put the towel over her head and prayed in front of the candles on Friday night, the beginning of the Sabbath, that she was connecting with something like the deepest part of her. Mm. So I love that because you know she was so busy all the time but she would stop everything and and i think that was her greatest gift to me was um, that moment of stopping everything connecting with something sacred and then she lived her life you know taking care of her three kids and working and you know all she worked hard and so sort of that 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 capacity to um, to not leave what we know is sacred um, at all. There's no need to. to, to uh, one of my teachers once said to me, uh, you know, just be a cosmic being at home on the mundane. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> so I said, that sounds good, this cosmic being at home in the mundane, you know, and making an omelet and just loving it is sort of this cosmic being that can do all this stuff. <laughs> it's perfect. 
In the work that you've done over the years, what is there a particular type of person that is drawn to this field? I'm thinking about, or I'm wondering about people who are deeply immersed in the corporate world and or else they're they're running a business and they're of course driven by metrics and demands of things to be done or produced or created um, who have very little connection with themselves or or who they are or what's important to them because they're so busy tracking these things that they're not focused on other things that make them make them able to focus on the vertical. Yes. How would something like this be useful for someone who is caught in that gerbil wheel? Got to produce, got to yeah. succeed. But well, my first impulse is generally to, to sense the goodness of what they're in, sort of the find the gold in that pattern. Mm. And help them to find what is what is the gold in that pattern of needing to succeed, or and um, it, it. So when I'm working with someone who has a lot of patterns of, of needing to succeed and be out in the world and become a somebody, finding the gold in that pattern usually um, is a love of excellence. Is and it what? A love of excellence. Love of excellence. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and then I'm working with someone right now who kind of. Has that description? Uh, you know, someone in New York City who is, you know, really wanting to accomplish quite a quite a thing with her company. And I just support her love of excellence and keep her returning to what she loves, so that where she's coming from isn't betrayed. Mm. And that it's fine to want to have this, you know, accomplish this stuff, but not at the expense of your own core. And so as long as I support them in continuing in their world, and they don't have to change anything, nothing has to change on the surface. Just don't neglect your essence for the sake of what you have deemed important. Mm. And to know the difference between the two. I think that's so crucial. Yeah, it sounds like what you were describing is a person who who sometimes loses track of, of what's essential because they get distracted by what's important. So the way to respond to that is you don't have to make any of that less important. Just recognize that not to lose your connection to what's essential in the midst of all of that. Yeah. And, and for them to decide what's essential. Yeah. For them to yeah. I yeah. think, you know, isn't it interesting that this problem has been going on for a really, really long time? Yes. And I think I approach my work as no problem, just difficult. And it could be a problem if you did, you wouldn't enjoy responding to the difficulty of returning to your essence in the midst of all that you'd like to accomplish. And so I become somebody in their lives who say, this does not have to be a problem. It can be just really difficult. Let's do it. Mm. 
And to acknowledge, yeah, it's difficult because you have so much momentum and I'm asking you to find find your stillness. You're right. It's difficult. Let's do it. <laughs> well, you, you touched on the perfect thing because I one of the things I wanted to ask you about was stillness and voila, mm. here it is. Yeah. I, I think our relationship with space uh, is more essential than our relationship with time. Mm. So stillness for me has something to do with um, having so much resonance with that space of peace that we become it. Mm. I don't create a peaceful space and then sit in it as this human. I actually merge with the phenomenon of space this, I don't even call it peaceful space, it's just space, it's like space. Maybe it comes back to this thing of me, me as space. Mm. And then the result is stillness, but the intention isn't to be still, the intention is to um, stop the momentum and just like this space of rested okayness is what I often call it, just a rested okayness. And sort of the result is is like a a a a, a, a gentling of my nervous system, mm. and as my nervous system becomes gentled, my brain waves I can feel them elongate, <laughs> and as my brain waves elongate, my frequency goes up, and as my frequency goes up, it's like I have this bit of a hum that for myself feels still, but for my being, it just feels incredibly vibrant. So I'm not being still for stillness's sake. I'm being still so that I could plug into that incredible vibrancy that's deeper than myself. So it just to, to still the self so that I could plug into, you know, as a human being to not be so identified with the human that I forget that I'm firstly this being. So still the human in, in you know, when I my personality can be very excitable. So just chill. Joe Marcus and just oh there it is there's your being just and and that that space of beingness then I it's like I absorb it and am absorbed by it and and uh, so it's almost like what's written on the door is vibrancy but I have to be still to find the doorknob and there it is there it is and then I open it and then this incredible vibrancy. Because if it was just stillness, I probably wouldn't do it because I, lo I love vibrancy more than, you know, the vibrancy of life. And so if stillness implies chilling in a way that doesn't lead me into the vibrancy, I probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I had that misunderstanding. I'm, I'm trying to meditate as a young person. I'd be so restless. And I realized because I had a misunderstanding about what meditation was. And, and, uh, but I, I don't, I, I did meditate for years. I don't anymore because I feel like now that I've stepped through the door, I could just, oh, I'm there. Yeah. Meditating was a way, it got me to the door. And I, but as soon as I open the door, that in a sense is the closest I can say to, oh, there I am. That's me. Yeah. Just poised in, in that space and as that space. So there's no, no efforting at all. So stillness for me is, is sort of like that, the falling away of everything 
and oh, there I am. There we are. Oh, no separation. Yummy, yummy, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> the game of hide and seek. There we are. Yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> well, this has been a beautiful conversation. I so pre appreciate that you've taken the time to come on with me and chat a bit. Yes. Can you tell our listeners or watchers how to reach you and whether you've got something cooking right now that they might want to come in the kitchen and see what you're doing. Yeah. My website is great. I really work with um, Natasha, the person who works with me, um, to keep it fresh and updated. So there's always information about what I'm doing. And that uh, website is? World artsorg.com and you know it it it, it uh, there are excerpts from my book and and uh, podcasts and interviews and uh, uh, what I'm offering next you know the, the all the information on the trainings and supervision and things like that it's all on the website worldartsorg.com that's great well I hope everyone, at least a lot of people who are moved by this conversation, will come find you and see what you have to offer because it sounds pretty, pretty fantastically delicious. It's been nurturing and nourishing spending time with you. Thank you. Thank you. Me too, you. And thanks again, everyone, for listening or watching wherever you're, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing, whatever form you're using. And we will see you again on the next episode. So thanks so much. Bye for now.